Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, you were a little bit France. early on the downbeat there. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even planning it to. Uh, to you were like the, um, the beat drop, to be honest. You were like uh, you were like the overzealous person That's at, right. the, at in the, the in the jam session. Well, I was gonna say the rave, mm. just like just <laughs> like oh yeah, oh, 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 oh. buddy. We Wait are, for the beat to drop. We are live from the Kintec <laughs> studio. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text I line. hope Manny's not already it, I'm pretty sure he is. Okay. Yeah, he is. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. As mentioned, now joining us here on the show, he is the coach of the Vancouver Giants, Manny Viveros. Manny, thank you as always for making time for us today. How are you? I'm doing fine, guys. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well, and uh, lots to get into with the Giants right now. It was, of course, the top prospects game in the CHL last night. Colton Roberts there representing the Giants. Picked up a couple assists as well, and, you know, Colton Roberts, a uh, big frame. Obviously, when you see a guy with his physical tools, you know that's going to turn the eyes of scouts. But beyond that, what is it that makes him such a such an intriguing prospect? Well, we certainly weren't surprised uh, of how he played last night. He's been doing that for us all year, but uh, to see him do it, uh, you know, at the, his age group of the best prospects in uh, in uh, in the CHL was uh, just what a what a real nice, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a cap to what he's been doing so far this year. But um, you know, Colton, uh, like last night, for instance, uh, what really impressed me is one thing he's been working on since last year, and then you can really see him pay the dividends right now is just skating and uh, against, uh, you know, obviously the best prospects at his age group in the league. Uh, he did a really good job as far as, uh, uh, you know, his, his lateral movement and getting up ice and that. And that's something that was really impressive to watch. How much of it, because as you mentioned, you know, he's, he's 17 and playing a really significant role for your team on the blue line. Just how difficult is it to do that at that age in the WHL and how much of a learning experience has it been for, for Colton Roberts this year? Well, we, you know, in, in, in fairness to him, we put him in situations at times where uh, it were a lot more difficult for him, uh, you know, the handle here. He's been playing a lot of minutes for our group uh, in all different situations and almost to a point where sometimes we probably overplay him in situations. Though, but he's handled it well. He's got the, uh, you know, the physique and the conditioning to handle that. And it's all a good learning experience for him as far as being able to manage his ice when he's out there and, uh, you know he's he's one of those kids that really thrive on on uh, heavy minutes, and he's and he's learning his trade. Uh, you know as we go along here, and it's not the the offensive part which has been really impressive this year, but it's more importantly is the details that he's he's working on as far as learning how to defend first, and that's the first and foremost at that next level, especially for these young defensemen, is that being able to defend at the next level here, and he's just getting better and better as we as the year goes on. Manny, I want to ask you about Mazden Leslie, who's picked it up offensively uh, over the course of a, of a recent six-game point streak. Um, what's been playing into his individual success and, and how it's worked within your team concept? Well, I think more, uh, more same with, with, with Robbie is the fact that uh, Maz, um, he's defending uh, so much better. Mm. Uh, obviously, I wasn't here last year, though, but that's something that's one of the things that uh, Adam Magdal had challenged him this year is to get better in his own defense, his own coverage, defend first, and then uh, the offense will come. 
think that's one of the things that he's really, uh, really concentrated on this year too. And he's, uh, you know, he's been one of our, you know, if not one of our, our best defensemen all season long. But his def- his defensive games have improved tremendously, and that's something, you know, a young kid like that is kind of flown under the radar. But he's getting better and better too. So it won't be long before teams can start calling about this young man also too here. But uh, he's he's really bought in and, and and you know knew what he had to improve on if he ever wants to get an opportunity to play at the next level. And he's certainly done it. Manny, I'm I'm curious just to ask you big picture. You know, when whether it was in Henderson or with Swifty or or um, with Spokane in um, in the WHL. You know, your teams have typically had a reputation for playing pretty high-tempo, high-octane offensive hockey. Um, How, when you come into sort of the first year of a a project, how long does it take? How much much work is required before that system becomes instinctive for, for a group of young men? Well, I certainly it's taken time, and we've always said that from the very beginning. This is going to take our time, especially with the young group that we've had on our on our team. There, it's going to mm-hmm. take time to get used to. First of all, you know the, the rigors of the Western Hockey League of playing on back to back nights, and sometimes uh, uh, you know three nights in a row. Yeah. And uh, it's you know our identity of what we want to play like is it, it, it certainly does take time. It, it even takes even more than a, a season for for the kids that are here to really to absorb and understand the concept here. And then certainly we've added since the trade deadline, two very skilled players uh, in a very crucial position at the centerman position that helped our club uh, tremendously too. So that also helps also in the type of game that we want to play. And, uh, you know, certainly having those, their experience and their skill set makes a difference with our, with our team where we're able to possibly hang on to pucks more than just, dump and chase and try to get after it off the forecheck. We're able to make plays through the neutral zone now with our skill set and, and also has made a huge difference on our power play. You know, you mentioned the young group you have this year, Manny, and uh, one of those guys who's uh, producing at a young age, just turned, just turned 17, in fact, Cameron Schmidt. And I know, you know, he had a couple goals on Sunday, helped you guys beat Kelowna nine points in his last nine games. What have you seen progress in his game over the course of his rookie WHL season? Well, first of all, for Cameron, like his play with the puck as far as offensively is dynamic. He can do things on his own and create space and, and opportunities just by himself here. But, you know, not just Cameron, but all, the, all these young players that uh, I have in the Western Hockey League here, I kind of, uh, you know, compare them and say, well, we want to coach you to get to that next level here. And one of the things that I saw when I was in the American Hockey League and also at the National Hockey League level, is the biggest difference between um, players from coming from college in the Western League or the CHL moving on towards the uh, next level is that they play without the puck. And that's the biggest thing that if these kids at this age can understand, uh, you know, how important it is to play without the puck. There was a quote the other day I read. It was really, it was really impressive. Uh, you're spending 25% of the time uh, your team having the puck. 25% of the other team is is with the puck, and then you're spending 50% of the time just trying to get the puck in puck battles. And that's something that we're trying to teach these kids, how important the value of when you're not having a puck where you should be in your positions, and just by positioning and being in the right spots at times is going to help you throughout your whole game here. And um, If these young guys at this young age can master that at a young age, when they ever get to that next level here, it's going to make them that much more of a complete player. 
Uh, speaking of guys trying to get to that next level, Tyler Thorpe, another goal on Sunday, gives him 21 on the season. He's on a bit of a points tear recently as well. Uh, was ranked 110th amongst North American skaters by Central Scouting in January. Is he playing some of his best hockey of the season right now? No, he certainly is. You, you got to think with also with with uh, Tyler here that he's still basically a rookie. Uh, so mm. he basically come to this team basically at this time last year, and the progression that he's made over that uh, calendar year. Uh, more importantly, this conditioning wise, he came back in an incredible condition this year, and he's kept us up this year long, uh, throughout the whole year like that. He's a big body who's got uh, I call in that next level uh, type of wrist shot, and his skating ability is a lot better than what people think. Sometimes you get misled about depending on how big these young kids are. Like they don't move as well, but he moves really well. And when he's moving his feet, he's really, uh, really effective here. So here's a young man that I can't wait to see his, where he's going to be in two, three years from now. Uh, he's just learning, uh, you know, what it is that to be at this high level here, and he's exceeded all expectations from everybody so far. Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, six foot four, already up over two hundred pounds at at eighteen years old, and you know he goes from six points in forty eight games last year, now thirty seven through forty four. You know, sometimes with these taller players and the bigger bodies, do we kind of underrate that maybe it just takes them a little bit longer for things to click? But then once they do, you know, in Tyler Thorpe's case here, you can really once the total package comes together, the results can be pretty spectacular. I certainly agree. And the biggest thing with Thorpe is uh, his hockey IQ. He's a very smart young man. He understands the game. He plays in all situations for us. So it's, he's one of those uh, uh, players where you have to tell him once and you don't have to tell him uh, you know, uh, two times or three times over again. He gets it right away, too. So that's certainly helped his development also. Uh, you guys hosting the Victoria Royals tomorrow, first of three consecutive games against the Royals. The uh, the other two will be on the island. I mean, what's it like playing these three-game sets, and what do you guys have to do to uh, make sure you're successful against the Royals here? Well, I actually love it. I think it's a great little uh, mini playoff uh, series here, best of three um, at a, you know, a very crucial time of year for us here, too. We're you know, trying to nip at their heels in the standings here and kind of solidify ourselves, solidify ourselves in a playoff position here too. So they've had an outstanding season as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they've been, uh, you know, they look at their team and how they've been playing uh, throughout the year. They're, there's at times they're as good as anybody in our division here. So we've got to play, uh, you know, our best. And, you know, if we play through our capabilities and how we play as our, our, our style, we're going to have a real good chance to, you know, to maybe get a couple wins this weekend here. But it certainly is a, a really important uh, three-game set for us. Manny, really appreciate the time and uh, getting us up to date with everything going on with the Giants. Best of luck this weekend and for the rest of the year. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks very much. And that is Manny Viveros, head coach of the Vancouver Giants, weighing in on a lot of things going on with the team and some really interesting prospects on the Giants. I mean, I remember at the draft last year uh, or this most recent draft coming out of it and both of us saying how on earth did Mazden Leslie not get selected in that draft with mm-hmm. him offensive profile and you hear from Manny there talking about with the way he's playing away from the puck and his defensive improvement he's going to get that NHL opportunity at some point and you know Tyler Thorpe is another one this guy's six foot four over 200 pounds you know not too far shy of a point per game in the WHL ranked 110th in North America only by central scouting. Like you got to think that's that's a climber going into the draft. 6 foot 4 and legitimate production in the dub. Yeah, you'll you're going to be uh, hearing your name called on draft day for sure. Yeah, and given the age of this team too, you know, you'd expect them to look very different over the latter mm. stages of the season than they have to this point. Uh, especially, you know, young young side new coach, right? You're you're going to 
you're going to learn a lot about what this team can be and, and sort of what style of play to expect going forward over the balance of this campaign should be fun. I thought it was interesting too, just uh, Manny talking about, because of course he has the AHL experience as well. And then mm-hmm. lots of Western league experience. And I think we always forget how hard that jump specifically is the jump from junior, not just to the NHL, but to the, to the AHL. Right. And how often do we see guys lighting it up in junior? And then all of a sudden you go to the AHL and it's just so, so hard to produce and stay in the lineup. And I think his experience in both worlds probably puts him in a really good situation to help players uh, have the best chance of success in that transition. Uh, all right. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strand, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, as promised, we do have an update on the lineup situation at practice, courtesy of our own Brendan Batchelor. No changes up front. So Patterson remains with McCabe and Kuzmenko. Uh, Suter stays with Miller and Besser. The bottom six remains the same. Only one change is on the blue line. Hughes and Hronick still together. Ian Cole and Tyler Myers skating together as a pair. Nikita Zadorov and Noah Juleson on the third pairing together. So we saw Zadorov get benched in the third period after that Torpchenko goal where he doesn't do enough to uh, prevent the scoring chance on the goal in front of the net. Now he gets bumped down to the third pair. And look, I don't think this is anything to be concerned about right like oh Zadorov losing the faith of the coaching staff or anything like that they've got a bunch of good defensemen that they trust and that they like and who are playing good hockey and who have given them good minutes this year and you know one of Cole Myers or Zadorov is going to line up on the third pair that's how it is right now with this team and it's going to rotate sometimes it's going to be one guy sometimes it's going to be another I don't think it's a cause for too much concern or panic about where Zadorov's game is uh, that he gets the demotion after last night no but you know this team Zadorov's good like really good, and I do think this team needs Zadorov. Uh, you know, I agree with you. No, no need to overreact, guys. The fact is, is that the minutes outside of the Hughes Heronic pair are pretty evenly distributed, right? Like yes. in, from a deployment perspective, you know, I, I think you could say that the Canucks don't necessarily have a second pair so much as they have kind of like two two and a halves, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe the better, maybe the politer way to say it is they don't really have a third pair. <laughs> they kind of have two, two and a half pairs. And, you know, that's a, that's a good way to be. I think that helps keep the minutes relatively evenly distributed, right? Um, and yeah, so no, there's no, no cause to overreact or anything. One thing that, you know, I liked Zadorov Cole a fair bit. As a pair. And I guess it's a little hard to go to given the Without handedness. Carson Susie. Yeah. yeah. Given, because given, then you'd be going Juleson Myers and then or you split up Hughes and Hronick, I guess, but then are you doing you know, you're still ending up with two right shot guys on the pair and then two left shot guys and another pair, and we know how how little Rick Talkin and Adam Foote like doing that, right? But I I do agree that when Susie is back, that's probably the look we see again, right? Yeah. At some point is Cole uh, and Zadorov and uh, and Carson Soucy and Tyler Myers. I mean, those combinations were playing really well together. Like that, I don't think it's a coincidence at all that having all four of those guys in the lineup together probably lines up with their best defensive performances of the season. No, right? It gives them such an identity with the size and the length and the mobility of a lot of those players uh, as well. It it really gives them that baseline defensive stability on the back end. Yeah, I, I also liked Zadorov Myers when they were going to that for a stretch. You know. What's been sort of interesting over the course of the past month, especially once Susie came back into the lineup, is 
there did begin to be a bit of stratification within that, you know, those two second and a half pairs with Mm -hmm. Tyler Myers kind of emerging as this team's three. Okay, Tyler, we've talked about this, but it's worth reiterating. Tyler Myers is having a great season. Yeah, he's been really, really good for this team. Like, there's just no way around it. He's been he's been awesome, and he's playing as you said. He's essentially their number three defenseman. Yeah, well, especially over the course of like. You know, the last month, the last month of games, they've been, you know, Myers's usage is ticking up and including that stretch where he was playing with Zadorov, where they were like regularly handling toughs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we'll see like the 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 thing with Myers's usage is he's been playing great without question. But you got to keep his usage in that zone. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the. If if it gets a little high, I think you start to see the seams, which is what we were talking about earlier in the year. Yeah. Um. When I when I was defending him a- after that first road trip, right? So, you know, w- that'll be an interesting thing to track here. And again, another storyline that I'm going to be monitoring, especially after what we saw last night. One of the one of the few like ma- meaningful hockey takeaways to me is how much does this team miss Susie? That yeah. that to me is of, of legitimate interest. Mike, the urologist from Brockville, texts in as Zadorov taking a lot of heat for one play, but talk it, holding players accountable, which is what we expect. This is a good point, I think. He says, and so nice to actually have the depth to be able to hold players accountable. That is a key point, right? It's not just the willingness of the coach to do it and the buy-in. You also have to have, at a certain point, you have to have viable options to step up in the lineup, right? It's a lot different promoting somebody who's been uh, or demoting somebody who's been pretty good for you to the third pair when you can move up Ian Cole or Tyler Myers as opposed to, you know, moving up somebody who was kind of an AHL fringe guy in the past, right? So I think that's a good uh, text in from Mike is that the depth facilitates the ability to hold players accountable, right? You have Pew Suter who can move around the lineup if somebody's demoted. You know, we always talk about that internal competition, and I think sometimes we focus on it at training camp, right? Oh, our guy's going to push for a spot. But when you have the depth that the Canucks have up and down the lineup, I think it factors in during the season as well, right? Because, hey, the coach has options. If I'm not getting it done, it's not like he has to give me these minutes because he has legitimate options elsewhere on the roster. Yeah, the old internal competition. It matters. It does matter. No question. There's no there's no doubt about it. Like I guarantee you Zadorov is Hey, I want to be I want to get back up in the lineup, right? It, it it matters when it's real. The problem is is that everyone says it. So it's hard and to it's tell. And it's rarely real. Yeah, it's hard, hard to tell when it's real and when it's not. Well, that's the thing is like you can't you can't create it out of nothing. The conditions have to be right. If there's a huge gap between your best, you know what I mean? Between like your middle of the roster players and your bottom of the roster players, what's the coach going to do? Like I've, I've interviewed too many executives who are like, well, this year we're going to have internal competition. And then you get to like February and it's like the same guys, you know, Derek Pouliot's yeah. their third Louis, most used defenseman. Louis Erickson is playing with Bo Horvat. So <laughs> and out it, there killing games. It's like, it's easy to be cynical about, but you're right. When it matters, it matters. Yeah. And when you put yourself in a position where you can actually do it, right? It's like this, I don't know, it, it, so many things when we talk about culture and accountability and all that, there's a chicken and the egg thing, right? Like, yes, those things help you win, but having a talent winning already, it, it helps you establish those other things. Right. Well, and no team looks like they have good culture when, when they're, they're losing. losing. No. You know, like, do the do the Kings really have a culture problem or are they shooting 6% and getting 900 goaltending for a month? Yeah. And the interesting thing, I think, is that the Oilers looked broken. I think the Kings might develop a culture problem because they're all ticked off about losing. 
though. You know what I mean? Like, I think it can, even if it's the breaks, bad breaks going against you causing it, I think you can get so, like, losing is just sucks so much for these competitive guys that it can cause the situation to go south. You need to be able to stick to your guns. You need to have the confidence to mm. stick to your guns. You can't start blaming people. You know, one thing that I think has happened to this team in the past, when the Canucks, for example, have struggled, right? You have guys trying to do too much, compounding the issue. You know, and mm -hmm. by the way, by the way, like, one thing I'm curious to see as we go through the season, you know, like, for example, there's sort of a soft call that ends the game or a soft non-call that kind of ends the game. Contentious non-call, let's put it that way. Sure. That sort of ends the game last night. What if it happens again against Columbus, right? You have another dubious whistle mm -hmm. that costs the team. And then what if it happens again in Carolina? Yeah. Okay? Now, now there's frustration. Three-game losing streak. Maybe the Canucks get two points out of three games. What do they look like the next night in Boston? What do they – like – we haven't really seen this team have to go in a foxhole and figure it, figure it out when things are tough. But we have seen this core group struggle to arrest a fall. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, this is one thing that I, I genuinely, like, because we're raising the bar and talking about this team in a different way, you know, if you're going to win the cup, you're going to have to come back from, like, a 2-1 series deficit maybe a 3-1 series deficit. You're going to have bad moments mm -hmm. and have to come together and, and sort of keep it together, keep it on the level. You know, we, we've seen this team get hot and sustain. What we've struggled to see is this team have bad breaks and, and stay afloat. And we still haven't seen that over the course of this season, right? That, that, it's just one thing out there, one other test that I'd love to see them pass and before the playoffs The begin. interesting thing, though, is I think it's going to be hard to pass that test because they've had such a good season. Like, even if you lose four in a row, that's not panic time. No. You know what I mean? So, like, it, the bar for what would count as adversity at this point has also raised. You're right. Like, it's not – if they were struggling for the playoffs – and you lose four in a row, then you're like, oh boy, we really have to dig deep. Right now, it's like, okay, yeah, and we're still winning the division. You know what, though? Like, end of the day, losing is so painful in the NHL that a three-game losing streak or a stretch of 10 games shooting 5% mm. or, you know, or, or an injury to one key guy for two weeks, all of that will suffice to test it. You know what I mean? Like, all of that will suffice to test it in my mind. Even if it's even if you're right, you don't get to the point of it being like uh, that life or death. It's not going to be like a five season alarm. on the yeah, line. Like, oh boy, type test. I you know, I don't think it needs to. We don't need to see like red flashing mm. lights and mm -hmm. like an alarm sound necessarily for for that to be tested for this team to sort of demonstrate. Yeah, some some of that more meaningful resilience than like the in game resilience of well we fell behind three nothing or. We came. We went ahead three nothing, and and the Leafs came back. Yeah, we got a bad balance or whatever. Or whatever yeah, yeah. Um, we'll take a break here. Keep your texts coming in. Sean Gentilly, our guy from the Athletic, joins us next. We'll go around the league with Sean right here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now joining us on the phone from The Athletic, uh, one of our favorites here on the show. He is Sean Gentilly. Sean, what's going on, man? Some very chill playing music you guys have. Yeah. I'm, 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 in a, I'm in a state of pure relaxation after hearing that. We spend an inordinate amount of time discussing our intro music on this show. We had a big like revamp. <laughs> we have a big revamp of the music going into the season to make it more chill. And uh, yeah, so I'm glad it's working. We uh, we tried rights free Bob Marley the other day, and it was like orchestral. It had like organs. Didn't work out. Oh man, I wonder if we're gonna get any rights free Bob Marley in the Bob Marley doc or the the, the Bob Marley biopic. <laughs> I've, I've seen trailers for this movie in theaters for the last like nine months. I think I saw one when I went to the Oppenheimer, and it's finally coming out. So I'm I'm, I'm wondering if we're gonna get some fake music in that one too. That's always a bad sign for a music biopic when you don't get the rights to the legendary yeah. music of the artist sure. in question. Um, the, 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 Go ahead. The Jackie Jorm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like back in the day, yeah, same, same principle. See, I think it's a good thing, though, in that movies about art, the problem with them generally, right, is like with the exception of the wonders from that mm-hmm. thing you do. Sure. What, mm-hmm. what Whatever song there is like, and this hit it's, captures yeah, the imagination like a, a of the world. social phenomenon or is like, like not good. Yeah. Or like this painting changed how we saw painting. It's just like. Okay, <laughs> it's kind of crummy. It just reminds you, and then when you see like an actor, whatever, like an actor who kind of looks like an artist performing something, it just reminds you that it's not, in fact, the actual artist. Like right. when you when you hear the song, it's just like it's just like a reminder that that it that it isn't, in fact, them. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's a the worst example of that phenomenon was speaking of Thirty Rock, the other the worst SNL show, Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip, the mm. Aaron Sorkin one, uh-huh. where it was supposed to be like this like nation gripping comedy show. Like, oh my gosh, everyone is watching and talking about these comedy sketches every weekend. Uh-huh. And then they showed them and it was terrible. like, oh, these are so oh, bad. Yeah, this, isn't, this, isn't, this isn't funny at all. No. This, is worse, this is worse than actual SNL. <laughs> I mean, every Aaron Sorkin show though is like that, like the newsroom. Yeah. No. <laughs> we, we can just, if, if we just want to turn this into like, 20 minutes of bashing the, the, the newsroom, like, I'm, I'm game. Like, we, we, we can roll like that. We should, we'll do that, like, for, uh, we'll, we'll set up, like, a VIP tier or something. We'll do a bonus, right. a bonus <laughs> hit with Gentilly Patreon the newsroom. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's we'll, talk hockey. We'll get it on hockey, though, for now. Um, big, I think biggest story coming out of the, from the games, at least, yesterday, obviously, there's a, a really bad news story going on around the NHL right now as well. But from the games on the ice, the Kings lose uh, to the Sabres last night. They've been in a free fall for a while here. Drew Doughty with some very mm-hmm. pointed commentary uh, after the game about some of his teammates and teammates and where their priorities lie. What do you make of what's going on with the LA Kings right now? I feel like it happened just when everyone kind of internalized that they were a pretty good team. Like if I feel like they it felt like they sold a bunch of people on themselves like sometime in like early December. I know I felt the way about them at least. So I was like, all right, that's fine. They're legit. 
yeah, Cam Talbot, like it's a, a lot of it's built around him and how good can he be long term. But you're like, yeah, there's, oh, you know, got got a lot of forward depth. They're they're pretty pretty solid defensively. Like that's a that's a good hockey team. And now it's like a month later, and it's just been total crash and burn catastrophe, right? Because the goaltending regressed, and it's and it seems like it seems like McClellan's under the gun, and now you and their top players, guys like. You know, guys like Fiala, certainly, certainly Pierre-Luc Dubois, the guys who are, you know, in the top six there, who they're, who they're paying legit money to, a, a lot of those guys have gone cold. And now you got Dowdy, yeah, turning the, t- turning the fire hose on on those dudes last night. It's not it's not a good situation. And I think for a, for a team, you know, whose season started out pretty promisingly and, and looked like a lot of their a lot of their stuff is pretty sustainable. It's it's a it's got to be at least some something of a surprising move. Sean, over the course of the past month, 6% on ice shooting for the Kings, 900 goaltending. Mm-hmm. And yet, yep. I sometimes worry with a team that's like still elite from an underlying profile if something still needs to change just to snap them out mm-hmm. of it. Kind of what we saw with the Oilers. Like I think Woodcroft's a good coach, but they needed to make yep. a change just to get out of it. Um, are we there? Are we there with the Kings? I wonder if... If yeah, do like the full full Woodcroft and fire McClellan and just hope that all of a sudden from then on, you know, you get top five or top ten goaltending in the league, like like <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. But but that's that's true of the Oilers too. Like there was it wasn't it wasn't just the goaltending, it wasn't it wasn't just bad luck. I think there was some system stuff, some underlying stuff there that went bad on, on, on Woodcroft as, as well. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it seems like we're getting that way, right? Because bad luck's one thing, and bad goaltending or a run of bad goaltending is one thing. But when you have dudes like Drew Doughty who come out after a game and just, just torch you know the, the majority of the lineup, that's when you start thinking, all right, is there is this is there is it time to hit is it time to hit the big red button on the coach like absolutely because there is, I mean the the other thing too is just with them on a longer term thing yeah a, a lot of the underlying stuff is is still pretty good but if they want to get if they're going to get where they want to go if they're if they're going to put this together you know the the kind of the kind of rebuild job that they've done over the last few years they need to get Pierre Luc Dubois producing like it like their whole their whole thing doesn't work if that dude isn't at least a passable first line center and he's been horrendous so I think maybe if you start asking the question about McClellan like is he the guy that can get that out of them because they don't have they have a lot of good offensive pieces but they don't have a ton of great ones and if you and if you see those guys like even outside of just bad luck and bad shooting percentage, if, if you see them start to slide, you got to start asking the question, right? Because they don't have supreme talent uh, up front, at least on, on the level of, of a contender. So I think when you have a roster like that, I think coaching gets even more important. And I think you start asking some tough questions for sure about, about, about the future of McClellan there, whether he's signed an extension after last season or not. One of the things that uh, Durant and I have been talking about, especially this month when the Canucks, you know, the Canucks are on a ten-game point streak right now, they're playing really well and kind of solidifying their status as a contender. And you know, as we talk about, okay, how much should they push their chips in? 
again, one thing we've mentioned is, you know, the field seems pretty wide open for the Stanley Cup this year. There doesn't seem to be one or two uh-huh. prohibitive favorites like there have been. Now, I do wonder if Edmonton going on a 14-game winning streak is changing that math a little bit, and maybe they'll be prohibitive favorites. But do you kind of see the lay of the land the same way? I mean, it, it's easy to look at the Oilers and say they're on the road to being a prohibitive favorite. But again, what if like we saw it from Stu Skinner at the start of the season? Yeah. What if he goes in the tank and turns into an eight ninety goaltender again? Then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, guess what? The Oilers aren't going to be anybody's favorites anymore. Like that's just kind of the way she goes. So I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm with you in the West, and I'm with you in, in the East as well, where we've seen. You know the Rangers take a little bit of a step back over the last over the, the last month, and you know Boston. You know, did it? Do they have? Do they have the 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 big guns beyond Pasternak up up front? Like there's there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of good teams, but not a lot of great ones. And I think that's I think that bodes well, certainly for, for Vancouver. But but any team like that that's looking to level up, I think over the course of the season and really put themselves in a good spot moving into the moving into the playoffs. I think that's good news for the middle class because you know there's. 12, 14, 16 teams who you could conceivably say who, who you can realistically imagine going on a pretty long run. Yeah, it, 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 and none who is who is uh, who's running away with it. But yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. Good news for the middle class in the year of our Lord 2024. <laughs> My God, yeah, just, <laughs> can you imagine that? My goodness. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the Rangers really quick because I've had like a a multi year fade position mm-hmm. on this team in some ways, and yet. I was thinking about them last night, th- talking to some um, talking to some folks about them. And one thing about the Rangers is that Igor Shosturkin hasn't shown uh-huh. up as Igor Shosturkin yet, and they're one of the best teams in the league. And that actually scares me from a from a perspective of wow, could this team have real ceiling if, if he turns yeah. it on at some point? Because he's going to. He's Igor Shosturkin. Is he? Yes. Like, are we sure of this? I, I'm sure. Like, of it's, this. it's the it's the end of, it's the end of January. Like, I'm I'm not like I think he's he's great. Obviously, I'm not. You know, by the time it's all said and done, ten years from now, we're gonna look back on Igor Shesterkin's career and probably be pretty impressed by it. But goalies are weird, man. Sometimes and sometimes you know you you look back at a lot of good goaltenders. They have they have seasons where it's like what what happened there? Like, is it just a weird it's a weird blip on the radar where they're average? Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not I, like I don't know that I would bet on that happening with Shesterkin this year, but I've thought I've had that thought about him several times over the last month, let's say, or month month or six weeks. Like I think odd, the odds are that he, that, like the real Igor Shesterkin shows up, but I, I think we're past the point where we can just assume that that happens. Now, if that dude plays like he did two years ago, then yeah, the, the Rangers are, are like good luck with him, but. I mean, we ha- we haven't seen it. He's been he's been average. We have to tear something since we've got you on, um, mm-hmm. and I, I'd prefer not to tear good things for the middle class. Um, <laughs> short short <laughs> yeah. segment. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, it's gonna be. I'll, I'll I'll hang up after about ten seconds. It'll be a short conversation. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about this. I'm gonna give you the list of the top 10 Norris contenders mm-hmm. based on the gambling futures, the gambling market. Okay. So we're mm-hmm. not going to like look at the scoring stats. Although, you know, honestly, if they just reflected 
<laughs> this if this market just reflected the top corner pretty closely scores yeah. that they probably couldn't do worse. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna have you tier the contenders for the Norris Trophy from Quinn Hughes to whomever you put tenth. Um, so we got Hughes, McCarr, Bouchard, Dobson, Hedman, Morrissey, McAvoy, Fox, Darlene Heronic. Yeah, that's the top ten. I'm 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 trying to break that up and 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 like mix up the order so it's not just the exact the exact gambling features. Right. I think. Oh, I think Quinn's by himself at this point. Like yeah. I'll I'll put him I'll put him as like the odds-on favorite and not throw McCarr in there. Like, yeah, like clear favorite tier Quinn Hughes tier of one. I think so. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I think he's the. I saw I saw yesterday. I can't remember who tweeted, but he's the eighth fastest defenseman in league history to get to 400 points. I think he hit that one last night. Yeah, it was 300. Like, but yeah, eighth fastest 300. To 300. I mean, he's ridiculous, man. He's nuts. He's nuts, and, and he's and, and at this point, I think it would be a surprise if anybody else did it. Like whatever. I know you got to account for health and all that sort of stuff, but over the last over the last month, as his production is, you know, he's he's continued just killing it. McCarr was banged up a little bit. He's 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 been some bouts of ineffectiveness. I think I think I think Quinn's by himself, and then I also think I also think McCarr is probably alone in tier two like it's, it's yeah. legitimately tough for me to imagine anybody else anybody else finishing in second place i think after that that's where stuff gets interesting right I think. so so tier two though we're gonna call it like not his year but still the dude tier kill mccarthy yep exactly yeah yep and then everyone else do you, do you have like so read the order again after that it was bouchard bouchard first. Dobson, Hedman, Morrissey, McAvoy, Fox, Dahlin, Horonic. I would move Morrissey up with the defensive I think season. Morrissey goes up. The defensive season the Jets are having. Because, yeah, because of how good that team has been, and because I mean, hella buck excluded. I think out outside of you know, if you're talking about the skaters, I think whenever teams have really good seasons, you want to try to. There, there's a mm-hmm. natural mm-hmm. compulsion. To come up from a narrative standpoint, like here's here's the guys here's the to reward the guys that are making it happen, and sometimes that you know leads to maybe getting getting more votes than they would otherwise. So I, Bouchard Bouchard's been great, big part of why Edmonton is you know has gone on this run. But I'll, I'll put I'll put Morrissey right up there with them, and then I think I think it's possible that we see Hedman in that group too, just because people like voting for him, but I don't think it's necessarily because of, because of performance. I, I think, I think if he shows up, you know, in the top five, let's say that's a, it's, it's pretty, it's a, for this season, it's, it's rep based more than, more than anything. I love Noah Dobson. Yeah. I'll say that. Like, I love the season that dude's, that dude's having. So I, so I'll, so I'll put, you know what, here, the next year will be Bouchard, Morrissey and Dobson. Yeah. I like I that. like I like kind of separating those guys, and then after them we can go Headman and McAvoy. I feel like after that it's like Headman, Fox, McAvoy. They're like the perennial re- reputa- yeah. the reputation tier. Yeah, yeah, right. Perennial vote getters. Like no one's going to be mad at you if those guys end up on your ballot, but also like realistically, like this isn't this isn't the year for yeah for 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 any of them. And then Darlene Heronic, kind of bringing up the bringing up the last tier yeah there. that's like thanks yeah. for thanks for coming maybe like i like can like can it, congratulations you guys round up the top 10 
Yeah, you know, it's nice you, to be nominated. See you, see, you, see you down the road a little bit. Yeah, maybe, the, maybe you come back next year or the, or the year after, and yeah, and, uh, and, and and rack up some more. The Jennifer Lawrence, if I don't win, I'm leaving. Tier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. The I want to I want to pivot off Dobson, right? Because if there was one guy I could see making a charge late, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if the Patrick Wah effect works. Right, if that team starts to play better five on five hockey, combines that with their lethal power play and the fact that they employ Ilya Sorokin and most people don't, and uh-huh. and sort of you know charges hard in in that Metro division, I mean, I could see there being some narrative heft to his case, you know that that um, yeah, that captures the imagination of of certainly uh, you know the Eastern voters really? who still fall asleep before Quinn Hughes plays most nights and. Leave me out of that, please. I, I will. I'm just, I'm, I'm just throwing a little bit of red meat. It's fine. <laughs> um, the Patrick Waugh effect, though, right? What What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on his return to the NHL? Uh, what do you expect from him his second go-around? I thought his presser when he got the job was, was really interesting, mm-hmm. where he was like, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, I left, I left Colorado and thought the next job was going to come immediately and it didn't. (laughs) So it sort of like forced him, I think maybe do some, you know, about as much, uh, about as much inward, you know, in, in, you know, look, looking inward as as you're going to get from, from, from Patrick Watt. So I think in, in the best case scenario, you know, he comes back. He's a little bit less bombastic. He focuses more on coaching. He doesn't have. To, he's dealing with Lou, so you know you're not going to have. There's no sense in turning it in, 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 in into a battle with the front office like he had in Colorado because you're always going to lose. Like no one. I don't care if he's 80 or 90 or you're 120. Like you fight. You fight Lou in a in a battle of the wills. Like it's 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 not going to go your way. So mm. I think if he's I think if he's accepting that and just is like I'm gonna, I'm going to I'm going to coach this I'm going to coach this team and you know focus on that I think I think it could work like we saw we saw it happen in, in Colorado too you know he was he might not be he might not have a long shelf life just because of his personality type but as a guy who comes in and is just like you know and to energize stuff and and get stuff moving in the right direction I think you can do a lot worse and also that division stinks right now there's a, there is a space there for somebody to step up and take control of a wild card space in that division because because nobody's playing all that well like Pittsburgh's falling off the Caps are I don't think anybody really believes in them the Devils have you know all sorts of issues up up and down that lineup, and I I think it's I think it's possible if the Islanders get it together and play hockey the way you know look more like the team that we've seen you know up until this season with with their defensive structure and whatever else. I don't, I don't think it's impossible. I, I think there the, there's a space that they can move into for sure. Speaking of that division, and you mentioned Pittsburgh, and you know how inconsistent they've been this year, and they're right in the mix there with the Islanders and the Capitals, kind of just above five hundred. If they go mm-hmm. on a run, they can definitely make the playoffs, but they haven't been able to yet. And look, obviously the name Jake Gensel has been a big topic of conversation out here mm-hmm. as we think the Canucks are probably going to be aggressive at the deadline. I still can't quite wrap my head around the Penguins selling a player like Jake Gensel when they still have Sidney Crosby playing like he's playing on this team that does have a chance to make the playoffs. But do you think there is a realistic possibility that since he's a pending UFA, he does move before the deadline? 
I do because this has been true, I think, of Gensel really for the last couple of years. Because he's, I, I'm no, I, he's phenomenal. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jake Gensel guy. I, I, I think in a lot of, in a lot of regards, partially because he's an American, of course. <laughs> and I, there aren't too many buttons to push for that roster. And this has been true of the last. I know, I know they went out and got Carlson. You know, so, so you know that's a serious that's a serious addition to make but like it's tough to make that team better and it's tough to make them younger and it's tough to do anything other than lean into the skid of them all being 35 36 37 years old and one of the only things to do and this has gone back for a couple years even to, to when to when Ron, Ron Hextall was was running the show was like the easiest way to try to hit some sort of soft rebuild would have been, is, is to move is to move Gensel. Like that's the that's almost the only realistic way you're going to get futures because everybody else is either immovable or uh, or you know has has no, has no no trade protections whatever. There there mm. aren't a lot of dudes that that they have to trade that would net them any kind of meaningful return. And Gensel's kind of Gensel's kind of the only one. But man, it's really it, it's at the same time. That being said. It's really, really hard for me to imagine unless they go out and lose, you know, get one point in their next six games or something. It's it's tough for me to imagine them doing that, even though it's a it's a fascinating thought, and I and I get why you guys specifically are asking yes. about it because because you know he he makes he makes plenty of sense in, in a lot of different ways, but I, I just don't. It, it's tough to imagine them them being there yet. We've spent more time talking Jake Gensel in the last month than we have like players on the Canucks on this show because it's been such a topic of uh, of conversation out here. Uh, Gentilly, man, always great. Thanks can, for doing this. You, before we let you go, oh. man, he's the only guest yeah. we could possibly talk to Keishon Boutte about. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh. 8,900. 8,900 individual bets. Well, uh, 130K oh. staked o- over the course of it. Now, LSU football, man. I, I love, I love that. Different. They have different dudes in that program. I'm excited no to hear Brian Kelly address this they in a Cajun are. accent. Well, so I love SEC football. <laughs> love SEC football, Gentilly, and I love to wager on football. And the moment I saw this news, I went and checked my spreadsheet where I track my uh-huh. bets to see if I lost on any of the Boutte wagers. Right? See if I could get it, get it one of my online apps Credit. and get like a twenty-five dollar bet credit. Against Keishon Boutte, yeah. No, no, dude. I want like a $25 <laughs> bet credit to ladder three-pointers tonight. Anyway, um, I went and checked. I went and checked, and I had lost money on some Boutte wagers, but he bet his overs, as did I, in those games. What's, what's your take on a player betting their overs, given that effectively that's what they're doing every day of their career anyway? Man, I just I love it as Keishon Butte specifically. He's, just, <laughs> he's, he's always been he's all he's like been in and out. He's you know I I yeah. have I have I weirdly have a lot of connections to to, to the LSU program and in in, in Butte's you know he's a wild boy to begin with. So it's just so <laughs> funny. Like of, of course of course he's gonna bet on himself. Like that's it's, it's completely completely in, in step with stuff I've, I've heard about him him over the years yeah it's it's always it's always better than the alternative i'll say that much because that's when the questions start to get really scary and really ugly uh good stuff man thanks for doing this we'll talk we'll talk again soon all right boys yeah thanks for putting up with our nonsense bud <laughs> that is sean gentilly from the athletic joining us here i'm glad you did ask him about uh, the Keishon Butte. <laughs>
story. Totally. It's very, very funny. Um, Rick Tockett, by the way, today, following practice, says um, he's surprised about, this is per uh, Jeff Patterson, CanucksArmy.com, uh, says he's surprised how his comments about Pedersen last night have been portrayed as Coach Blast's star player. Said he gave honest answer to a couple questions. Says he doesn't want to, but may have to be guarded with his answers now. Rick Tockett not angry at the media, just disappointed. <laughs> we'll get into that on the other side. Yeah, we'll get into it. There's some quotes from uh, Elias Pedersen on it as well. So we'll talk about that. We might even get the audio in so we can hear it direct from Rick Tockett. Hopefully we do before the end of the show. Keep sending your texts in. Final segment here coming up on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance here. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Calm. So uh, we'll see if we get some Rick Talkett audio here in the next few minutes. I would expect that we do. Hopefully Batch is on top of that. Come on, Batch. Batch is always on top of that. So we'll get it in uh, here momentarily, hopefully before the end of the show. Uh, you got a question that I like that I I figured let's go into the inbox because we've got some right. good texts. First of all, we've got people saying that I shouldn't disrespect the San Francisco yes. Dons. We actually got a, t- a couple of Gonzaga-related texts in, which surprised me. But I'm I mean, they're, they're 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 the official college basketball program of uh, of the Northwest. Yeah, Pacific well, Northwest. Don't disrespect those San Francisco Dons, Drancer. Two more wins than Gonzaga this year, and consistently atop the WCC with the Jags. They lost to St. Mary's by seventeen two weeks okay. like All right. this let's, weekend. Let's not get too deep into the weeds on the WCC Just saying. here. Just saying. Um, we got some good. You got thoughts on their pick and roll coverage? <laughs> I liked the text. You got a question in. All right. And it was, can you build a tiered list of skaters that would help you in a playoff matchup against McDavid Dreisaitl? You can use any players, past or present, but you can only add one player to the existing Canucks roster. So any player from history. Well, let's go Canucks history. Oh, okay. Canucks history. Okay, okay. I mean, do you go Kessler? I think you go Kessler. You probably have to. I was to. just thinking, I think you go Kessler. Best defensive forward the team's ever had? I think so. Yeah, in his prime. I mean, only Selkie winner they've had. Yep. He was a beast. Right-handed, wins a ton of draws. I think fast, you probably have too. to go like, really fast. Yeah. Really fast, really annoying. To everybody, his teammates included. Yeah. Who's... <laughs> <laughs> what? That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it would have to be Kessler. I, it... Didn't Kessler play... Against McDavid with the Ducks, right? Right. Now that was like not this version of McDavid quite no. yet, but still really good. Yep. Connor McDavid. Yeah, I mean Kessler Kessler also was such a monster in the playoffs. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he Yeah, I think I think I think you go Kessler one. I think you go Luongo two. 
Ooh, I like that. And then... Although the thing is, with Kessler, it's additive, right? Because you're bumping out, like, your 12th forward. With Luongo, you're bumping out Demko. You know yeah. what I mean? So is the marginal upgrade worth it? To I don't take know. Luongo ahead of... Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, it's still Luongo, man. Yeah, he's still really good, but so is Demko. That's Demko's Demko's really good. Demko's incredible, but, like, you know, there there's still some distance that Demko has to travel. That's true. To get to that level, right? Um, I'm, we all know that. Rager texts in either uh, Ham Hughes or Matthias Oland. And I mean, look, great defensive defenseman. I like that. I like the prime Pavel Bure yes, suggestion. I like that people are just like, just bring your own, clone your own McDavid. <laughs> just have your own. Forget yeah. trying to shut him down. Just add a wicked offensive player. I like okay. that. This is also a really good suggestion. Esatikinen is a quietly good suggestion. Esatikinen famously. Well, so is, but is it, is it Vancouver? Tikkanen or no, like you want, any point in his career? You want Winnipeg. Yeah. Essa Tikkanen. Yeah. Um, Essa Tikkanen, man. If it was, but if it's any if it's any point in their career, Mark Messier. Oh, no. Just, just leave. <laughs> um, I'm just saying. If we're opening it up like that. No, but Essa Tikkanen, in terms of the work that he did when he was a member of the Jets shutting down Bure, that's like as good as it gets for a defensive forward. Uh, Essa Tikkanen, by the way, moonlighted when I was in Florida as like um, a chaperone for groups of Finnish tourists who were traveling to Miami, right? Often it would be like you go see the Bulls and Markkanen in Miami and then you'd come to the Panthers game and, and he'd always like be, you know, texting Barkov, right? And the Barkov and some of the Panthers Finnish players would meet with Essa Tikkanen and these groups of Finnish fans that Tikkanen would hang out with. And sometimes it would be like the Oilers – so there'd be like asks for Tikkanen. That's amazing. And as a Tikkanen, a hilarious guy, like a lovely dude. And one one day, he came into the like players hallway, like right outside the dry stall, just like walking around. And um, I hear a, a player walk by him, and they're like security, right? Which is like a classic player response yeah. for like guy where they're not supposed to be. Uh, so I come and I'm like, Essa, like. You, you can't be here. You, you need a credential. And he holds up his fist, and he's got three Stanley Cup rings on it. And he goes, I thought this was my credential. And I'm like, you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very, very Lo- good. Honestly, Esatikinen, awesome guy. What a character. Um, awesome character. And great defensive forward in his heyday. No doubt about that. And, and lots of Stanley Cup rings. Yeah, lots of Stanley Cup rings. All right. We do have the Rick Talkett audio, and you heard we read the quote about the Elias Pettersson, his Elias Pettersson commentary. So it's a big chunk of audio here. Uh, we'll have a few minutes to talk about it after uh, we hear from Rick Talkett, but here is Talkett speaking after the Canucks practice today. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I thought some good energy. I, I like guys like Hoggy and those guys, uh, you know, they drive practice. Almond, you know, Laffrey, those guys were drive, uh, dragging, uh, driving practice. You know, and I think that's important when you get those young guys enthusiastic, and I thought the practice picked up because of those guys. Speaking off that line, what have you liked about it of late? What have they brought you in terms of consistency? Real good, obviously, on the forward check. You know, that's something that uh, they've done really consistent, really well. Um, you know, now maybe some face-offs on our own end. If we get on, so win some face-offs, you know, get better. He's, he's trying, and, uh, you know, you can put that line out there more in face-offs, and that'll give him a couple more minutes. But, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're probably one of our best forward-checking lines. Right now. Like some tweakings to the defensive play- pairings. What do you see in terms of Zadorov going with Juleson potentially? Yeah, I think footy, you know, like a committee, you're just trying to get, you know, it might happen in a game, you know. Um, 
so I think you just got to be ready for anything. You know, people get hurt, people get tired. So you know, it's uh, most of the times etched in stone, but not always. What was the message to Sadorov today? It was some pre-practice chatter there. Kind of a rough night for him. Yeah, but I don't think you know. It's sometimes as a coach, you want to you try to shake the team up. You know, I don't think he was that bad. Um, you know, sometimes a player can come in and say, "Hey, man, like you know what happened." And sometimes a coach, you, you you know, sometimes you make you have a feel. I don't. It was more of a feel. Um, yeah, he, he knows he has to be on the PK, and the the other one's got to be a little quicker. But you know, I don't think it's a problem. I think he played really well against Toronto. You know, it's just uh, sometimes it happens. You know, some of our defense they they never played for five six minutes yeah. at a time. I don't, it's not it's not that big of a deal. But I like the fact that he likes to communicate. Z. Talking to Brock this morning wasn't so much about the, the chances he had to score. He was more worried about his positional play and how much of that is a leap forward in the last year with Brock. Yeah, I think he really you know, he's, he's going to really start spending more time with our skills guy. He's watching a lot of video with Yozy now. I think he it's the staple stuff that sometimes when you score and you get in the slumps, you forget about the other stuff. I think if he does like what he was saying, and um, you know he's knocking on the door though, like he wants extra work, so that's good. That's a good thing. Rick, you were asked questions about Elias last night, and you gave a pretty direct answer. And in a market like this one, that's sort of taken as the coach blasted, you know, one of his star players. Uh, mm-hmm. I assume whatever you say <clears throat> to us in the media, you would say to the players. And like, I mean, where's the level of communication in that regard in terms of criticizing? Players? Well, I didn't think he scared last night. So of the article I blasted him, I mean, that's you guys. I mean, but what do you want him to say? I mean, you guys are taking it to a. If Hoggy has a bad game, a couple of bad games, I say it, but it's not in the paper. Like, Pete's a big man. You know, he had a tough night skating-wise, I thought. It's over with. You know, he played 21 minutes. He's not on the end of the bench, so we're, we're taking this to a different level. Like, yeah, it's different. I, I was on your side as a media guy, right, and I get it. But you guys got to analyze the game, too. You got to understand certain things, too. So it's not talk that has a problem with Pedersen. It's, you asked me a question, who was good or was bad. So I got to be careful because if if you guys are going to ask me questions now, a player, I'm not going to say I'm going to say no comment. I'll let you guys analyze it. So you guys got to be careful. That's not a big deal. He's out there smiling. It's not a big deal. So maybe it's a story that we're we're winning a lot and we're looking for negativity. That's the way I look at it. Not to blast you guys. It's just frustrating because it's it's you know over the internet talking blast at, at Pedersen. So I don't know how I blasted him. I just said he had a tough night. Do you and think there's a fatigue factor? I mean, when we go back to the road know. trip, he was lighting it up. I mean, that just <clears throat> Some guys go through game. stretches. Yeah. Whether you're a good player or not, and sometimes you've got to be reminded, hey, you've got to skate, you've got to manage the puck, you know, you've got to get some good angles. It's, I don't care who you are, you know. It's, and, you know, you're looking for consistency, and he's a consistent guy, and that's it. Go Great to work. Uh, yeah. Sorry. You're yeah, you know what I'm saying? Over, over the last 20 games, I think it's running at like 89%, which would prorate to be the best in the league. PK? Yeah, P- yeah, PK. Oh, PK. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's been the biggest reason for success, big picture-wise, in the last 20 games? Or so? I think Yost has done a great. Uh, Mike Yost done a great job. The structure part, like teaching what we're the principles of it, and I think we're getting good groupings. You know, Teddy and and um, uh, Dakota, and then you got Alms, and then you got the Suits, and I think Petey's done a good job with Mikhail. He's getting more PK time. And then Millsy when we need some big draws. So we got a good group right there. I think uh, Ian Cole is a. He's always been a good PK guy, and I think he's. A smart guy out there. So I think it's just a lot of confidence. Now we just got to work on our clears. I think we get better at our clears. We're going to really take off even more. That's probably the one thing we're we're 
a little bit on the average side. What's the one thing you stress in the GP when you go up against the team? And, and you know, you look at the opposition, what do you stress in terms for of... For power plays? Game, no, for penalty kill. What do you, what's your game plan? Like, what do you really focus and stress on with that unit? Well, it's like, it's different. You play Edmonton, they're, they, they're everywhere. So you, you play a, maybe a tighter... Uh, diamond uh, with some some tweaks. Some other teams use it use a spread, so you got to play a little bit different. So you, you you get the game plan on on a certain power play and there's certain you know you're playing Colorado, they got a lot of low plays, so you got to make sure you're really tight down low, and you might have to give up a weak side shot, but at least Demer knows it's going to be this shot he has a chance. PKs when you give the back doors, I think we had one last night, right? Those are tough for the goalies. So we try not to give those back doors, even on five on five. Is that a challenge sometimes? And what I mean by that is like you want to tweak it to who you're playing, yet at the same time you want to stay within the structure right. of what you do with your PK. Yeah, I think PK too is structure, but it's also a feel too. You know, like, yeah, we want this guy to be in this position, but if you feel you can pressure a guy and another guy wants to pressure, you got to allow that. You know, you can't be too structured in PK. So we try to allow a little bit of freedom where, hey, I think I can go get that puck. I might be out of structure, but I think I can win that race. We allow that. I think that helps. Rick, I was something on uh, Ronick, who yeah. uh, is even even better. I think when the trade was made last year, the, the management made a big deal that this was a really good player, but maybe the people here didn't know much about him. Where is he impressed you this year? Well, he's just a good skater. Um, he can skate himself out of tr- you know, trouble in four checks. Obviously, he's a good slinger. He slings that puck to Huggy a lot, which is, you know, I'm a big righty-lefty, if he can. But when teams play aggressive, when he can sling it over to Huggy, it gives Huggy a little more time to do his, do his thing, right? So, uh, um, and his shot. I think he's, you know, that's one thing he's trying to work on his shot. I think sometimes uh, it gets a little bit high and wide sometimes. So he's got to work. If, if he can just manage his shot a little bit, and that's the only kind of – not tweak that I have I think that's one thing he can get better at is his shot would, would you have you toyed I mean when he's on the power play a couple of times earlier yeah. this year have you thought about it that's one thing you don't necessarily have is a big bomb shot back there and if he if, if you thought about that much. yeah I mean it, sometimes if I do play the two up maybe like, you know but Huggy's so good up top that actually it's probably you know it feels better probably for himself not better than Huggy but at the top where he can use that shot um, we have to experiment with that sure is the break coming at yeah. the right time. I mean, you try to elicit that 60-minute effort, yet the guys know what's around the corner. Uh, is, is it a good time for coming up? Yeah, for this team, yeah. I think it's, you know, that's why the other day I, I told the guys, whoever wanted to come down to the rink, just come down. I, I, I think sometimes too much video, too much talking, too much analyzing makes people stale. And, uh, you know, whether a guy struggles or not, he knows he struggles sometimes, you know. He needs to kind of figure it out himself. So I think this is the right time. I, I think I guess every coach I've talked to, I've talked to a couple of buddies in the league. They're they're, they're they want a break too. Yeah. So coach, coaches about... want breaks from players. Yeah. I've heard that from a couple but of coaches. We talk so much about systems, but just managing day to day expectations and rest versus recovery. Uh, it's something you've probably had yeah. to take to another level. Of yeah, I mean, there's some, there, there's some science to it. Yeah. But there's also, you know, we've raised we've raised the bar here, so we're in a microscope even more. So sometimes we got to be careful ourselves that you know we uh, we got to analyze it a little bit differently now. But we have to keep the same standard. You know, we 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 expect a 60 minute effort, and we don't get it. Sometimes we get frustrated, players or coaches. So we got to be careful how we 
we approach it now too. What, what level of satisfaction do you have though at, at this point? I mean, you're going to have those nights where it's not there, but overall, I mean. Well, for me, it's the resiliency. I mean, I don't know we've I don't know what our record the last twelve was it a nine zero and so what, and we haven't lost very much around here, and so you got to manage manage that sort of stuff too. Um, so I think the resiliency, um, but to get the next level, you can't throw three, four games out of six where you're not getting 60 minutes. So that's the next elite level, and that's what we're striving for. Rick, where are you with yeah. the Cavs game right now? Just, I mean, obviously no goals yeah. for quite a while, yeah. but he had the chance in the third period. Yeah. He drew the penalty as well. I mean, he left a mark on the game last yeah. night, but obviously where he's playing in your lineup, you probably need some offense from him. Yeah, I, I, you know, I believe in Mick. I think he's a fast skater, but he's got to put himself in position to play fast. And I think... You know, him and Kuzi sometimes have a tough – they're not together. They're, they're too spread apart. If you look at the other lines, whoever has the puck, the other guy's always close. You know, if Garland has it, Teddy Bluger's around. If Millsy has the puck, you know, you'll see, you know, Suter last night, they're, they're close. That's why. And I think those guys play a little wide. And then when somebody gets it, they don't have speed. Mick needs to be close to a guy with speed. And um, when he doesn't, it looks like he's skating backwards or standing around a lot. So – you know, that's the, the concept with that line is to make them stay close together. You know, it's instead of wide, play wide hockey. So, um, yeah, no, he, he, you, know, we, you know, he knows he has to pick it up. You know, he's got to – he's our speed guy. You know, he's got to chase pucks down. You know, he's got to be, you know, like Hoggy. Hoggy chases pucks down. So I'd like to see Mick do the same. But he's got to – I don't think he doesn't want to. I think he doesn't put himself in position sometimes. Like, instead of, you know, slashing across, it's somehow he goes a little bit wider. And I think it's just a mental thing for him. Uh, yeah. Uh, for all your success this year, I think you guys have just a two and five record after 60 minutes. I think that's just a small sample size. Is there something that's overtime that's not going right? Um, well, I don't. Phil had, you know, Phil Aronic had that kind of breakaway going in. We make a mistake; it's in our net. Like it's happened a couple of times in our overtime. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, you expect to be, you know, what is it, five and two? Because we have some people that can score. Um, you know, management of the puck. I've, I. Hasn't been as great this year, you know. Some loose, you know. I think there's certain times when you have the puck, you cannot lose it because if you do, la last night, and uh, you know, I don't blame Petey too because it's just not him management. Like if Kuzi slashed across, Petey could have gave it to him. We would have had easy entry. So I think it was just a combination of not just those two guys. Sometimes we we don't manage the puck well, and the guy that doesn't have the puck has to be available in certain areas. That's what I think. I did coach three-on-three in the All-Star game. Yeah, that's it. I'm just kind of a buzzer. Just go, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, it'll be fun. I don't know. They'll they'll change on their own. They're not going to listen. I I don't think they're going to listen to me anyways. A lot of regroups. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of regroups. Yeah. Yeah. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking again at length uh, to the media after today's practice. And, you know, really the most interesting part of it there is the his, his kind of commentary on the commentary of his commentary well, about Elias Pettersson. The question was put to him like, you know, the coverage was star player or blasted by head coach. And he reacted pretty viscerally, yes. I'd say. Yeah, no, there was genuine. To that framing. Yeah. But does he actually feel like that about the coverage or did he feel like that? Based on how the question was framed, that sort of would be something I feel like I don't really have clarity to. I, I don't know. Did you see a lot of Coach Blast's player coverage? No, I think people talked about it, but I think people talked about it in the same way we've talked about, or in a very like, similar we way. We debated about, whether it was mild or frank. Yeah. 
But either way, we weren't. It wasn't. We both agreed. Like it wasn't harsh. It wasn't severe. No, no, definitely. It wasn't not. like wow. He's really angry at Pedersen. You know what I mean? And and I think that's generally how I've seen it talked about, very much in line with – and, you know, talking had the reference as well. Look, like, if Niels Hoaglander has a bad game, I'll, I'll say it, if he has a couple bad games. And we talk about that, right? We talk about, okay, what did the coach have to say about Niels but Hoaglander? But it's not a what big does that news mean? story. No, but, like, it's I thought obviously, that was his point. Yeah, it's obviously bigger with Pedersen, but I think the conversation has been pretty similar. Like, okay, the coach said – had this piece of criticism to offer about a player, let's dig into it. I don't think – I didn't see a lot of overreaction. No, me neither. Now, I do think everything is magnified when, it A, it's one of your best players, when there is the uncertainty around Patterson and his future with the team, right? I think all of that is going to generate more takes, more interest, more emotion. More wagging tongues. For sure, but I don't think anyone – I didn't see anyone sounding the alarm, right? Like, oh, wow, talk it really late into Pedersen. I didn't see that reaction anywhere. No, me, I, I didn't either. The um, the thing that I liked is, like, you know, I read that comment on Twitter, and I'm like, oh, man, like, talk its willingness to engage and talk specifics. You know what yeah, I mean? We can't like, lose that. We can't lose that because it's not that the, – the thing that was interesting, right, wasn't that – Talk it had some commentary about Pedersen being off, not just last night, but maybe for a week. But it was, you know, we want him to play faster, which mm-hmm, matches mm-hmm. something that he's been talking about more generally in terms of what the club needs from Pedersen, right? And I think dovetails pretty interestingly with this idea of like North South hockey. And, you know, we want those details because it helps us understand and report yep. on the team in a better way, right? So. I, you know, I definitely don't well, want to lose that. And then he's asked about Mikheyev and Mikheyev's recent struggles, and he goes into it yes. in depth. I'm like, okay, I'm not worried. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that there's another mode for him to talk about hockey, no. right? Like, he's going to tell you what he sees. He's going to be specific about it. And it's not, you know. And this he's is, going to be open to helping to educate you. And, and this, I think that's and I, I think, think that's plays really well in this market. Sorry. It does. No, you're right. Because I was going to say, this isn't just like the media wanting good quotes to build stories around. No. From talking, right? We've seen from people texting in and talking to us about it. How much the fans and our listeners certainly, and I think in general fans here, appreciate the clarity and the directness and the honesty from Rick Talkett and the the willingness to educate and to teach. Okay, here, I'm not just going to say generally there are little things that the players, I'm not taking a shot at Travis, but you know what I mean, that there are you know things that player X needs to do to be better. I'm going to tell you exactly what and why I think it's important, right? I think that has tremendous value, and you don't want to think about it in terms of like, you know, building support in the market or whatever. You know, he's not a politician, but it does matter. The That ability to communicate in a a hockey mad market like Vancouver and have fans understand what you're saying, it's been a huge, huge asset for Rick Tockett here. And I, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to lose that because he's so good at it, but I was a little worried as well. Yeah. Like, no, well, we and apologize. And he's not a politician, but there is a political nature. He, he's not sure. a politician, but he's a spokesperson, mm. you know? And... The way coaches watch video, the way coaches watch the game, they get so much more detail than certainly someone like you or I can, and that's fine. Like, that's Mm -hmm. okay to get that information out in a market that cares so deeply about this game. It's all upside. It's all upside for all involved. Okay, before we uh, end the show, I I have to pass this along. Okay. Uh, We haven't talked about Gavin McKenna (laughs) much, if at all, on the show. Well, when are we going to start talking Tej Aginla? Yeah, that's true. But uh, Cam Robinson, of course, uh, from Elite Prospects, passes this note along on Twitter. Gavin McKenna, 
2026 draft, so this is draft minus two year, has produced at a 1.44 point per game pace this season. Mario Lemieux was at 1.5 in his draft minus two year in the queue. Better the pick 80s. it up, Gavin. <laughs> so there you go. There's the historical <laughs> comp for my Incredible. guy, Gavin Incredible McKenna, stuff. right now. We'll sign off on that note. Back with the Friday edition of the show tomorrow here on Sportsnet 650.